there, and welcome to Popular Podagogy. I am your host, Nathan Cheney. If you missed our episode last time, we are a podcast that is brought to you by the Queen's University Faculty of Education. And the purpose of our podcast is to bring on some current researchers and teachers and have them come talk about educational issues that are happening in the classroom, as well as to share some of their stories so that you can reflect and relate as teachers on some of the things that we are doing. Some of the things that we'll talk about are going to be extremely funny and some things will take on a more serious tone. But we hope as you come through the podcast journey with us that you'll actually have an opportunity to take something away from it as well as have a smile on your face by the end of it. Last time, if you missed our podcast, we had Lee Ayrton on to talk about pronouns. And we are fortunate enough to be joined in studio today by another new faculty member, Christy Timmons. Hi, Christy. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. So we're going to start off, Christy, with an interview that you recently did with the Queen's Gazette. Now, uh, for anyone who's out there that's listening and doesn't know what the Queen's Gazette is, it's the campus newspaper. And every time we have a new faculty member at Queen's, for the most part, they do a little profile piece about our new faculty member. And... So I was extremely interested when I was reading through Christie's piece uh, because one of the things that I heard is that at the end of the piece, they kind of go over the interests. And one of the things that I saw was that you have recently taken up rock climbing. So I have some questions about rock climbing. But my first question is, did you take up rock climbing because it was all part of your master plan to escape (laughs) students when they're in your classroom? Ah, good question. Um, honestly, it was just moving to Kingston from Toronto. I love Toronto. I was always very active there, and people were like, okay, you're going to be slowing down a little bit when you go to go to Kingston. So I was like, okay, I need to think of a few things that will keep me active when I come here. And it hasn't been that. I really do love my time here in Kingston. But I was looking for a hobby to kind of start up new while I came here. So um, rock climbing was something fun that I could do with some new friends that I've met in the area, but also with my, my husband here in Kingston. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you were able to find something in Kingston that you actually uh, were able to enjoy doing and that you are fitting in nicely in the new city. So we're glad to have you here for sure. And you're definitely a good addition to the Faculty of Education. So uh, welcome. Thank you. So your background is as an ECE and instructing uh, ECEs. Mm -hmm. So my background is actually, I used to be a elementary school vice principal. And as part of being a vice principal at my school, a big part of my job was to walk around the school and be present in classrooms. And the one that always stymied me a little bit was I would always go into the kindergarten classroom and it was at the end of the building. And every time I went in there, I just felt terrified as it looked like (laughs) chaos And I knew the students were actually learning stuff, but every time I was in there, there was just all of these things going on, and going from all the other classrooms to that one, it was pretty interesting to see. And I spoke to the teacher to see what the madness was all about, and she said that it was the stations, and that it was Mm play-based learning, and, (laughs) and that the students needed to be up and moving. I guess my first question is, how do kindergarten teachers and ECEs survive what seems like the Hunger Games, and... I know you have a background in play-based learning, so can you please explain what that is to our audience who might not be as familiar with it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, maybe I'll start by answering what play-based learning is and then talk about kind of how teachers navigate that. That'd be awesome. Um, So there's 
um, ECEs and researchers might define it kind of on a spectrum. And so you can think about play, and play would be completely um, free play. So the child's deciding what they want to do and how they navigate um, a learning activity. And then there's play-based learning. So um, we find that sometimes some teachers are a little bit scared of play-based learning because they wonder what their role in that would be. So if we think about play and play-based learning on a spectrum, it could go from completely free uh, play where a child is deciding exactly what they want to do, what material they want to play with, to more teacher-directed play. Um, and so when I go into different kindergarten classrooms, I see lots of different things. And so that energy kind of level that you're talking about is quite a different spectrum depending on where you fall on that. And then there's debate in the literature and debate when you talk to teachers about what actually is play. So if a teacher has some control and is facilitating, do we actually consider that to be play? Um, and in my opinion, yes, it is. I think that the teacher has a really important role in facilitating play, um, but it, you have to kind of see where you fall on that continuum. Um, in terms of how teachers actually um, survive that, I think it's matching that with uh, their own personality. And so for some teachers, uh, you will be in that classroom and it will seem so busy mm -hmm. um, if they walked into another teacher's classroom that was really um, play-based learning. And then other teachers wouldn't be so stressed about that because it matches more with their personality. So I think it's a fit as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And my advice is always kind of do what's comfortable for you mm -hmm. um, in your classroom. And I yeah. come from an intermediate level. And so okay. the intermediate level is a whole other animal because you're dealing with puberty and you're dealing with hormones and you're dealing with the social Absolutely. aspects of everything. Yeah. Um, and it's quite a different animal and I know that Absolutely. with our kindergarten teacher when she would come up she would come to me and she'd say I don't know how you deal with it and I would go to her and I'd say I don't know how you deal with it so it's actually kind of nice to have that that reassurance that it is a personality fit there Absolutely. Um, yeah. just going back to play-based learning though mm -hmm. um how does play-based learning fit in with inquiry-based learning? Because inquiry-based mm -hmm. learning is a very popular uh, term that gets thrown around a lot in education circles right now so um, I know that there's some overlap between the two, so how do those kind of tie in? Absolutely. I think that's a, a really good question, and I think we, t we kind of throw these words around, like project-based learning, inquiry learning, uh, play-based learning, and sometimes we see that people use them interchangeably, um, and I think they are very, they overlap. They're constructs that overlap. So I think about inquiry-based learning coming from questions that the students are asking, um, and then when you think about play-based learning, it's also coming from questions, but sometimes it's the role of the teacher to be observing the student more if we're thinking about an early learning context. So instead of the child or the student actually posing a question, you might have to be that kind of um, observer in the classroom that's witnessing something that the students are doing, and then you use that to drive uh, your planning. So they're, they're very similar, um, and there's lots of early years teachers that talk about inquiry being part of their uh, part of their teaching, but it's how you facilitate um, starting from the student's interest and starting from their questions in a way that's child-centered. So definitely overlapping uh, constructs and pedagogy. Now, a lot of research shows that a lot of the best kind of learning occurs in those small groups, and that's yeah. a lot of the ways that, that play-based learning is set up, and, and as well as inquiry-based learning. Yeah. Um, so this can become a challenge, though, because a lot of the time in a kindergarten classroom, there's only a teacher and an ECE, and right. especially in a full-day kindergarten classroom, and they have quite large class sizes. So how do you think that teachers can actually achieve this so that mm -hmm. they're actually getting to all of the students and making sure that those small groups are effective and that even if it is play-based learning, that, and, and I know in your research you've touched on this, yeah. is a lot of teachers are worried about the assessment side of things where they're actually having to go and assess these students and get to all of these students, mm -hmm. and there's a difference in assessment there. So 
I guess my question is, how is it that with these large class sizes mm-hmm. that you recommend that teachers and ECEs tackle that, that those those classes? Yeah, class size is always an issue, and I think it's an issue throughout the grades. It's not yeah, just in it's kindergarten. Never gonna be, it's never going to be something that everyone's happy with. Absolutely. So I think it's a challenge that we faced in the early years, but I think the reality is now we do have two educators in the classroom, and you can do lots of really creative things now that we have two educators. And so the idea of the full-day kindergarten program, now it's just called the kindergarten program because yeah. all um, of the kindergarten programs in Ontario are play-based. Um, and so uh, one of the ways that you can do that is you can navigate the skills of the ECE and the teachers. So sometimes that might be when I was teaching in kindergarten, it would mean kind of splitting up the classroom so you have a smaller group. So instead of having 26 students, you have half of that, right? Um, and then you can do some really interesting things and you can be navigating. But the other thing is that's key is how you set up the environment. So that's important no matter what grade you're talking about, but I think it's super essential in in kindergarten is you're really thinking about how students are going to be independent um, at these various learning centers. Um, And so, yes, that means maybe thinking about how many students will be successful working together and how many students can collaborate with one another. But if you set up the learning center really well and those stations that students are rotating in and out of, you don't necessarily need to physically be there because you've already thought in such a purposeful way about what's going to happen when you're there, so when the students are there. So I think once you've navigated that and you think a lot about what that learning environment looks like, it changes your role. So as a teacher, then, you're able to go and kind of listen to what the students are doing and then maybe just go to another center, grab a material, and just plop it down at the math center because you heard a conversation and you're able to kind of probe in that way. So I just think it's about a shift in teachers role as opposed to necessarily being something that's more difficult. Now, going off of that, one of the things I also noticed when I was reading through some of your research Mm -hmm. articles is grouping and the importance of grouping and how grouping kind of works, especially in a kindergarten classroom and when you're setting up play-based classrooms. And I just kind of wanted you to give a little bit of an elaboration on that. So I know this is something that comes across, again, all grades. It's it's not something that's unique just to kindergarten. But is there a benefit to ability grouping in kindergarten? And what is the perception of ability grouping in kindergarten? And how teachers kind of navigate along that so that they're making sure that the students are having the most effective experience? Good question. I, I'm kind of bringing two different projects that I worked in on to kind of bring that answer together. Sure. So one of the projects that I worked on looked at children's self-regulation and engagement in different learning centers in a kindergarten classroom. So when children were engaged in small group, whole group, transition, and playtime, and it wasn't surprising, but during small group and during uh, play, children were most engaged and most self-regulated. And really, if you think about it, it's not surprising. Kids are probably going to be less self-regulated or engaged during transitions because there's so much going on. And during whole group, if a teacher is trying to lead something with 26 kindergarten students, it's possible that many students, if they're on a carpet, will be distracted, right? So they're going to have to inhibit some of those those feelings on the carpet. And so I think that's great that we know, okay, they're most self-regulated when they're in this small group uh, play context. That can really inform how we plan the day. But I also want to be weary to think that that means we should never have whole group time. Because right. I've talked to some school boards and they're like, okay, great. So that means we'll tell kindergarten teachers they should not have whole group time. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it means. <laughs> what we're finding is that, yes, they're most self-regulated at this time, but then we have to think about how to support them in those self-regulation skills during whole group time. It doesn't mean scrap it. Right. It just means means to be really thoughtful about what we're doing there. And, and that was something mm-hmm. that I actually wanted to bring up yeah. is a lot of people see that as let's get rid of the whole group time. Absolutely, but yeah. kindergarten is also a very important building block towards the rest of their education. Absolutely, and yeah. 
even though there are movements in education to try and move away from that teacher-centered learning and mm-hmm. and direct instruction from an educator, there's still a place for where they need to learn how to follow routines and listen to rules and do those types of things. Mm-hmm. So how does the play-based learning transition into a more traditional educational setting as they move up through their schooling? In some ways, I think that I, do, I hope that it's not the idea that we have to move to a traditional way, but almost that we can navigate this play-based learning through to grade one and to grade two. And I always, already see that happening um, when we talk about uh, increase, so I almost yeah. don't want to say that we're going to do something different at the end of kindergarten to prepare them for grade one. One of yeah. the things I always say to my students is that um, we talk about preparing them for grade one and then for grade two, and then in grade eight we're preparing them for high school. But if we do what we need to do at that particular level, right. they'll be fine when they get to grade one and when they get to high school. We just have to be really thoughtful about the things we're doing. So I don't necessarily think it's about preparing them for the traditional uh, context, but maybe changing that uh, traditional context. But I think that play-based learning, um, if we think about the real world, we're navigating and we're collaborating with other people, and that's quite difficult to do for adults, and a play-based learning or an inquiry learning environment allows students to practice those skills and to actually engage in some conflict resolution in a real way. Right. So I think they're just important skills. And I just have a little story off of that, actually. When uh, I was teaching, shortly before I got my position at Queen's, uh, I took a bunch of our students on a camping trip, and one of the things that I thought was actually most beneficial is that we didn't have structured activities for part of the time, mm-hmm. and part of it was that we just said, you're in the woods, go have fun. And these were grade 7 and 8 students, awesome. and mm-hmm. for the first 15 minutes, they looked at us like we had to tell them what they were <laughs> supposed to do, and they, they didn't know what to do. And then as time went on, they slowly started to figure it out, and by the end of it, that was actually where you started to see some of the leadership capabilities that they had, some of the – I mean, there was – obviously challenges with that as well if you throw a bunch of grade seven and eight (laughs) students in the woods and say have fun but (laughs) there was a lot of positives that came out of that and when I'm reading a lot of the research that you have I actually equate that experience with that where some of the skills that we're looking for and that we're trying to build and that we say that we are really wanting out of education such as critical thinking leadership presentation skills oral communication Mm -hmm. all of these things are actually coming from a similar nature of of learning that you would find in play-based learning or inquiry-based learning. And so I think that answer is really appropriate where you're saying that we are preparing them for grade one and Mm -hmm. grade two and grade three. It's just not the grade one and grade two and grade three that maybe um, you had when you were growing up or I had when I was growing up, which is the more traditional form of education. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, but we'll be right back with Classroom Confessions. Are you a professional looking to upgrade your skills in a flexible online environment? Are you looking to further your career options or try your hand at something new? Queen's Professional Studies offers low-cost online courses created with the working professional in mind. You can build your skills as an editor with the Professional Editing Standard Certificate or work towards a certificate for international education professionals where you can learn how to develop international programs within the education sector in this increasingly globalized world. Don't have a university degree? No problem. Our courses are designed to be open and accessible to any educational background. For more information, check out professionalstudies.educ.queensu.ca. That's professionalstudies.educ.queensu.ca for more information and to sign up now. And we're back. So if 
you had an opportunity to listen to our last podcast, we are introducing a segment called Classroom Confessions, where we bring on either a teacher or a researcher, uh, any sort of educator to come in and talk about something funny that has either happened to themselves or a student in the classroom. Obviously, we're going to keep it so that no personal identifiers are in there, but it's just a way for us to kind of show that every teacher has funny moments, and we originally actually wanted to name this podcast The Staff Room because we wanted to talk about how teachers were coming to the staff room and having funny stories about their students and about things that they did, and quite honestly, most teachers are pretty funny people, so... I gave an example last week of how I carried around sad piano music for my students, um, and I have another example <laughs> for you this week. So I'll start off, Christy, if that's okay, just so that you have an idea of what the bar is for the story. <laughs> so earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that I had gone camping with a bunch of grade 7 and 8 students, and there was one student in particular who was a little bit of a behavioral problem, but overall was really enjoying their time camping. And when we were out camping, they would just kind of walk around the outskirts of the forest, and they were on their own, they were having a really good time, and we just kept an eye on them as we were going along. Until we got into a game of Capture the Flag, and all the students were playing, and this student was playing as well. And then at the end of the game, no one knew where this person was, and we all thought that he was just really good at Capture the Flag. Uh, but as time went on, we started wandering around the forest, and we couldn't find the student anywhere. And panic started to set in, because if you've ever lost a student in the woods, it's not something that your administrators really like. It's very much not something that their parents really like, and all of the students were getting very concerned, and all of the teachers were getting very concerned as well. So it was my task to go around and try and find this student, and we wandered around the entire forest, and we couldn't find them anywhere, and we wandered around the entire campground, and we couldn't find them anywhere, and then finally, I ventured back up in, and I, I had gone back before and gone back into the cabins where we were all staying, and finally, I, I ventured back in, and I just had a hunch, and I didn't really know, and I, I knocked on the door, <laughs> and... Apparently what had happened was the camping food had gotten to him a little bit, and so he wasn't (laughs) feeling so well, and he'd been in the bathroom for the last half an hour, but he was very embarrassed by it when we went through the first time and decided not to actually (laughs) speak up, but once I said that we were worried about him and missing. He was very apologetic, and he, he came he came out after feeling a little no. bit better. But for about 20 minutes, I thought I had lost a student in the woods, and so that is my classroom confession. So, Christy, I'm going to ask if you have a classroom confession to share today, and if anyone who's out there is listening, if you want to share one of your classroom confessions, again, we'll keep it completely anonymous no personal identifiers, but you can share your classroom confessions with the email popular.podagogy at queensu.ca, or if you just have any questions and want to want to give us a shout, you can you can get us there. But now we're going to listen to Christy's classroom confession. Okay, wonderful. Um, I'm going to give an example um, from a kindergarten classroom. It's actually from some research I did in, in kindergarten. And so one of the things I did with um, actually my supervisor when I was doing my PhD is we were interested in um, how children creatively would write sentences that we'd ask them to write. So we were looking for the representation of number, so this sentence would have a number in it, um, and we'd be coding for how they were accurately writing the sentence. So some of the sentences would be, teacher has five little red crayons, or it could be, um, daddy has six hockey sticks. 
And so one of them that I still have, I actually have this example in my in my office. So the the young child, he was five years old, and he had written, "Daddy has hokey sex," was his his sentence that that he wrote. So that's an example that I still have in my office, and I use in my literacy and language class as an example of the funny things, the creative. Uh, writing that that children can do in their inventive spelling. very important, yes. <laughs> Another one was uh, something about two horses. So the, the student wrote two H-O-R-S. So that was an example. And then another example, which is to all those teachers that have students write lines, not to do that. So one student wrote, I'm a very bad little boy. He was seven. But the sentence was um, something about seven crayons or something like that. And he wrote, I'm a very bad boy. So how, like that's so awful, right? So obviously he has been asked to do, to write lines, which is so sad. And and thinking about like we're trying to get children excited about writing and, Those are and the type thinking. Those kids that grow up to have hokey sex. Yeah, yeah. they got <laughs> so just just a kind of funny examples, but also sad examples, and kind of taking that with you and thinking about the things we ask students to do in in our classrooms. Well, <laughs> hopefully, uh, if you're a teacher out there and you're listening to that, you'll no know better to, than to write lines. And also, if you have funny stories, you can share that with us as well, because we love hearing about all of the funny things that your students write. So that is our classroom confessions segment. We're almost done here on Popular Podagogy, but first I want to ask Christy what research she's working on, and so anyone listening can go find your research. Uh, so if you can tell us what you're working on and where they can find it, that'd be great. So one of the projects I'm working on right now is to really operationalize what self-regulation is, because there has been actually one paper that came out um, by Stuart Shanker found 446 definitions for what self-regulation is, and so we have um, it's, in med- it's in medical research, it's in psychology research, it's in education research. And so we talk about self-regulation as being so important in the early years, but also how that impacts us in our, in our career down the road. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do is to support uh, teachers in supporting children in self-regulation skills. But it's really difficult to do if we don't actually know how to define self-regulation or know what it is. Um, and it's in measured in uh, multiple different ways. And so one of the projects that I'm doing right now is a kind of pan-Canadian study of policy documents and looking for the ways they're defining self-regulation and comparing that with the uh, empirical research in terms of what actually develops self-regulation skills with students. And then the next step will be to actually go into kindergarten classrooms and say, okay, this is what we find in empirical work. This is what we find in the policy documents. What should we actually be trying to support students in doing in, in our classroom? And do you think that the policy documents and the empirical work is well known amongst teachers? Do you think that that's something that they're quite familiar? I know this is a loaded question, yeah. but do you think that this is something that they're quite familiar with and that that self-regulation component is something that we know how to teach students? Because I know that our kindergarten classrooms and all classrooms across education have really changed uh, quite a bit in the last 10 years. So um, that expectation might have changed as well. So do you think that's something that we need to kind of focus on as teachers? I, I do. I think we've come a, a long way in terms of thinking about what this actually looks like in the classroom. The kindergarten program, for example, actually frames the curriculum expectations, and one of the frames is self-regulation and well-being. So I think that's a really good attempt to really think, yes, this is really important, so we should try to teach this in the curriculum, but we're still lacking in understanding what that actually means for what we do as teachers. So if um, researchers are having a hard time operationalizing 
understanding what self-regulation is, it's probably going to be also very difficult for teachers to say, okay, I read this in a paper or I see this in a policy document, but what's the best way to actually do this in, in the everyday, everyday demands of a classroom? So what my hope is is to have some conversations with teachers and to learn from them in terms of what they've seen has worked in the classroom and then also to back that on to some of the empirical findings that we have. And hopefully we can find a place where we can go forward and give those strategies to teachers. So I think we have come far, but it's still evolving. You're getting yeah. everyone on the same page. Yeah, that's, that's what the your hope. Goal. Yeah, yeah. And, to, and to be moving forward. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in today, Christy, and uh, that does it for another episode of Popular Podagogy. If you like what you hear, please check us out and subscribe on iTunes or on the CFRC website or on the Faculty of Education Twitter and Facebook page. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.